to the third installment of our series, Living in the Age of Rage. Hey, if you're a guest, my name is Benji. I get the awesome privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at New Hope Church, and we are so glad that you are joining us. If you're at a watch party at any of our campuses, or if you are watching us online anywhere around the world, welcome. We are so glad you are here. Church, I got to tell you a little story. As you know, we are in Philadelphia and we were going to record this message in the Museum of the American Revolution. But unfortunately, when we showed up, they were closed for the day. And so we went on a hunt to find another church. And I just started calling churches online. I went into my Yelp app and I started calling churches and I found this beautiful Church. It is called St. Peter the Apostle Church. And uh, we are just so grateful for these brothers and sisters in Christ who have opened up their beautiful sanctuary and allowed us to come in and record this third message titled Separation of Church and Hate. So it really is most appropriate that we are inside of a church. Two weeks ago, we started this series and we talked about the contagious nature of anger and the way in which it spreads like crazy. One person's anger will trigger another person's anger. And we're seeing that in our culture as we move closer and closer to this presidential election. Last week, we talked about the divided states of America and we ended around the table of our Lord. This week, I want to talk to us about the separation of church, not and state, we all know that, but the separation of church and hate. And I don't know about you, but I need this series as much as any of us. Because the truth is, I come in here today carrying a heavy burden. As I watch what is happening in our country, on the mainstream news outlets, on social media, there seems to be this rage that is brewing in our country. And frankly, the hatred scares me. It especially scares me when I see it sometimes welling up inside of me. Election years and global pandemics and unresolved racial issues just intensify the hatred. And those of us who are followers of Jesus are not exempt from it, which is why this installment in the series is so important, which raises the fundamental question that I wanna get out there on the front end of this message. When did it become okay for humanity to hate, but more importantly, for Christians to hate. I just want to let that question hang over us for a moment. Again, when did it become okay for Christians to spew hate towards other people? You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus didn't say, hey gang, gather around me. I brought a bunch of little fish bumper stickers and if you'll throw those on the back of your chariot, they will know you are my disciples. 
He also didn't come down from heaven, as it were, maybe on a chariot and say, gather around. I've got all of these WWJD bracelets, or maybe we should say WWJV, what would Jesus vote bracelets. And if you throw those on your arm, everyone will know you are my disciple. Nor did Jesus say, the world will know you are my disciples by your moral superiority or your self-righteous indignation. Now, Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you what, church? If you love one another. In fact, let's read that verse of scripture out loud at all of our campuses and those of you who are online. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. To which some of you would say, okay, okay, but what if someone is my enemy? Jesus, Matthew 5, 44, I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. The Apostle Paul reminded one of his audiences in Titus 3.3, at one time we too were foolish being hated and hating one another. Think about that. Paul says hatred is foolish. The Apostle John has some things to say about this. He says in 1 John 2, 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. 1 John 4, 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. You know, we love to say the devil is a liar and he is, but check this out. The Bible says that we are liars if we say we love God, but we hate people. Let me make it clear and break it down. Followers of Jesus are known for love and not hatred. So each of us has a choice in how we will respond to the hatred that is so prevalent among us today. We will either throw gasoline on the hatred and blow everything up, or we will learn to love people and diffuse the hatred and bring peace and calm to those around us. I haven't spoken much about the cancel culture that we saw grow in mass this summer. I gotta tell you, it burdened me greatly for those of us who love our country. We hate to see things canceled and destroyed and buildings and all of that. Now, I will admit, some things need to go, yes, but the cancel culture got way out of hand in the summer of 2020. But I just stopped by all the way from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, to let you know that love cannot be canceled. It is forever and it should be the hallmark of Christians. Romans 12 teaches us exactly that. Open up your Bibles, if you will. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul gives us some very helpful and practical suggestions for loving difficult people, or some might even say impossible people. I wonder today who you think of when I say that impossible person to love or that hard to love person 
in your life. The Bible says in Romans 12, 9, it's a short verse. Love must be sincere. Say that with me. Love must be sincere. Now that word love we've often looked at, it's called agape. You know that. And some of you are sitting here saying, you know what? I can't love that hard person, that difficult person, because I don't feel love. Lean in and listen closely. Agape love is not a warm, fuzzy, lovey-dovey feeling. Agape love is a gritty word. It is a commitment of the will that I am going to love you regardless. It is a decision, not a feeling. The last part of that verse, love must be sincere. Let me tell you about that word sincere. It literally means without wax. Let me explain. In the first century, the finest pottery was very, very thin and often it would crack in the firing process. So disreputable pottery dealers would take those cracked pots and they would fill them with wax and then they would paint over the cracks. Word got out where if you take that piece of pottery and you would hold it up to like maybe a stained glass window where the light is coming in, you could actually see the cracks and the wax. What the apostle Paul is saying to us is, hey, when your love, when it gets lifted up, and God's sunlight shines through it. Does it show some chinks and some cracks that you've tried to cover up, you've tried to hide, pretending that your love is the real deal? That's why Romans 12, 9 is so important. Love must be sincere. Agape must be be without wax. It must be the real deal. Look back at the scriptures, Romans 12, 10. You know this, there are different forms of the word love. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Now the word that Paul uses there is not agape. It's filio. It's Origin is in Philadelphia, in this city of brotherly love. This, this is a friendship kind of love. This is not, I'm going to love you if I'm forced to. This is a love that says, I love you regardless of who you are. It's, it's an I like you kind of love. I've heard people say, you know, God commands me that I love with agape love, the love of the mind and the love of the will. And even though I love you like that, I don't like you. Let me tell you something. That will never fly according to God. That just doesn't work. I mean, think about it. Would you want God to say, hey, I, I love you, but I don't like you. No, 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 no. Filio means that I love you because you are a human being. 
And regardless of what you do, regardless of how hard I might find it to love you, I'm going to mature in the faith enough to look into your soul and see that you are a soul for which Christ Jesus bled and died and rose again. (laughs) You know, back when this nation was far more Christian than it is now, People used to say this in the church a lot. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you you heard this. Maybe you've even said this before. People will say, I love so-and-so in the Lord, (laughs) which means I personally can't stand them. I'm going to agape them. I'm going to love them. And I'm under spiritual obligation to love them. And again, the Bible would say that does not work. It does not fly with God. And friends, I want to let you know that this kind of love that I'm trying to teach today in this notion of separation of church and hate, it impacts social media and it impacts politics. You see, the problem with social media, and there's a lot of them, the biggest problem with social media, just in my observation, is that people are just far more aggressive online than they are in person. I said in week one that that angry people live in the comments section online. And if you hang out there, let me just go ahead and warn you, it's contagious. You gotta be careful. I would not hang out there very long. You see, back in the day when we had face-to-face conversations, I could disagree with you or you could disagree with me and it was done with respect because we tended to disagree with someone's thoughts or the content of what they were saying. But now we attack their character because we hide behind a screen. Instead of saying, I disagree with you, people have a tendency to say, well, you're just an idiot because you disagree with me. And when we criticize content, we're arguing about ideas, but when we move to attacking character, we start slam dunking people, or as I said in week one, we start turning over people instead of turning over an occasional table or two. And I just wanna say, I feel a strong leadership of the Holy Spirit to say right now, hey, if you're hanging out in the comment section and you're, you're trashing people, you're attacking character, Please know that you're grieving the heart of God. Please know that you're grieving the Holy Spirit and you really should cut that out. Let's talk about politics for a moment. I need to say just a a word or two about the political season that we find ourselves in. I will speak far more about this uh, next week when I do a two-part series next week and the following Sunday titled, Let Me Tell You How to Vote. You don't want to miss it, but let me just dip my toe in it for a moment here today. Love, the call of love, agape, to, to love and be sincere, the, to be the real deal, means that we take this even into our political seasons. Hey, write this down, church. We need to remember this. You can disagree politically and still love unconditionally. Oh my, don't miss that. We can disagree politically, but still love unconditionally. Think about how different our nation 
would feel. Most of the laws would be irrelevant and unneeded. There would be no violence, no murder, no sexual assault, no school bullying, no racism, no hungry people in our land. It would be powerful and it would be a game changer if everyone just said, I'm going to love everyone as God loves me and as I love myself. Now listen, I'm fully aware that the world is not going to do that. But what if the church did that? What if New Hope did that? Imagine how we could change Central North Carolina and beyond. You see, in about 16 days, this election is going to be over. And while we might not know who wins right away, but we will eventually know, I just want to let you know something that's very, very important. On November 4th, 5th, or 6th, or the following week, or the next week, when Joe Biden or Donald Trump is declared president, Jesus Christ will still be king. And he calls us to love all people. That's why it's really, really important that we always remember we don't follow an elephant, we don't follow a donkey, we follow the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So please, I beg you, like Paul would, would beg the church, I beg you to put love over politics because Republican or Democrat, left or right, you are all precious in his sight because Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves you, he loves me, and you will never lock eyes with anyone for which Jesus Christ didn't come, live, die, and rise again. So what do you say we follow his example of love? I wanna leave you with one challenge today is to love all people. We all have those people in our lives that it's easy to love. But we already looked at what the Bible says about our enemies or about those who persecute us, those who hurt us. I want to challenge you to love everyone. I want to challenge you to, to find around you this agape love, this this filio love that I'm going to love you, not necessarily because I like you, not necessarily because of what you've done to me, but I'm gonna love you because of what Christ has done for me. And I'm gonna share something with you today that I've only shared one time before publicly. And it's, it's pretty hardcore, but when I was a little boy, my mom was dealing with a lot. And I can go back further than that. When my mom was three, her mom died. And when my mom was five, her dad died. She grew up through her adolescent years and faced some challenges. And then she married my dad and they had three boys. And um, by the time I was a, a young scrapping boy, maybe at the age of six or seven, through the time that I moved out, I left home at the age of 15. Um, in those years, my mom was going through a lot. 
She was struggling with depression. She was struggling with the fact that she had experienced a, a cerebral hemorrhage and gone to the hospital and they had to cut her head open. And then multiple times she had staph infection and my mom's had her, her skull, literally she has a scar right here. Her skull was, was cut wide open. I think it's four times now. But during that time, when I was a young boy, my mom would often grab me and with her fingernails would dig into my face and she would often slap me across my face and she would say many things to me. I'll give you just a few that are most vivid in the moment. My mom would grab me and with those fingernails cutting into my skin such that my face was bleeding, my mom would say things like, I regret the day you were ever born. My mom would say, I hate you. My mom would say, because especially after I got into my young teenage years, I started doing things that I shouldn't do. My mom would say, I hope you die and burn in hell. And this was the soundtrack that I heard from my mom all these years. And it impacted me. And I went off in the far country, as you know, not blaming her for that, just that's a part of my story. But at the age of 18, I hit rock bottom. And I read for the first time this book. And I accepted Jesus Christ in a jail cell. And God started to change my life. And he changed my life in many ways, overcoming addictions and dealing with um, all of the sin that was in my life and the consequences that came with that. I was a high school dropout. He changed my life. He got me back in high school, eventually into the University of South Carolina and eventually into Duke and eventually into Asbury Theological Seminary. He was changing my life in many, many ways. But here's what I come by to let you know. One of the most important and I believe powerful ways in which God started to change my life is that he gave me an ability to not only forgive my mom, but to love my mom, to love her dearly today. We talk on the phone all the time. We have a relationship that that it's, it's as if that stuff that mom did to me back then, which was so painful, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of time I've spent in counseling and therapy, working through those images of, of her digging into my face and saying those things to me. But I come by today to let you know that this book is real and the transformative power of God and the Holy Spirit in one's life is real. And the most amazing thing happened about 10 years ago when my mom came to Chapel Hill and visited me and we sat up in my family room one night late into the morning, around one or two o'clock in the morning. And after talking all night long, my mom got down on her knees with me by our couch 
And I led my mom to the Lord Jesus Christ where she gave her heart to Christ and her sins are forgiven. And now she's growing in the faith of our Lord. And I can honestly stand before you today and tell you, I don't hold any grudges against my mom. I've been freed of the grudges. I've been freed of the anger. I've been freed of the raging. I love my mom. And that is what God will do in our lives. So regardless of who you're struggling with, regardless of what has been done to you, regardless of what someone might be doing to you right now, and regardless of who you might be surrounded by that you can't stand and you have a hard time loving them, take it from me. If you take that matter to the Lord, if you get in his word, if you pray, if you get professional help, if you need that, and you keep dying to self and you keep saying, God, help me love that person. God, help me forgive that person. If you just keep taking it to the Lord, I'm here to testify today that God will soften your heart and he will cause you to love those people and every person you ever encounter. You might not like what they do, but you will love who they are. Why? Because they are a person made in the image of God. And the same God who has saved you wants to save them. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for this love that you came down 2,000 years ago and manifested fully in your son, Jesus. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the church. God, I, I'm standing right now under this amazing artwork picture of Jesus Christ when he returns to gather his church. And Father, I pray that when you come, or when this world comes to an end, whichever happens first. Father, I pray that when you look out across your church, God, I pray more specifically that when you look out across New Hope Church and everyone who, who calls themselves a new hoper, God, I pray that you will recognize us, not by our bumper stickers, not by our bracelets, not by crosses that we wear around our necks. Father, I pray that as scripture says, you will recognize us by our love, by our love for all people. Father, would you allow us to catch a vision of the ways in which we could transform our communities around all of our campuses if we would just love people. God, may we die to self. May we die to hatred. May we not rage anymore, but may we love all people because you first loved us. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.